Well, Acts 13 tonight, Acts 13, we're going to finish up the last few verses and then get into the first verse of chapter 14 as we continue our series through the Scatterers, uh, which was the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And keep in mind that they, uh, uh, of course, have made their way through Cyprus and then they went to Antioch of Poseidon and now they are getting ready to go on to Iconium and in they weren't necessarily planning on leaving Antioch Poseidon anytime soon, but we're kind of pushed out, as we'll see today, and uh, see some different areas here uh, of the missionary journey. I hope it will be an application to us tonight and some things we can see as well. I want you to have found that, and you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet uh, tonight for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to. And we'll read a few verses here, and then we'll get into the message. The Bible says in verse number 50 of chapter 13, uh, but the Jews, and keep in mind, verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions. So we left off on a high note two weeks ago. Uh, last week, of course, was level up. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy... And with the Holy Ghost, we see joy again in verse 48. We see it in the form of being glad. These were the Gentiles who heard the gospel. There's something about joy. You cannot manufacture joy. Joy is produced through the Holy Spirit, through God's working in our life. And happiness is only based on circumstances. And so we see joy there with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass, in verse number 1, in Iconium, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Lord, we sure do love you. Uh, thank you again for loving us. It certainly is good to be in your house tonight. Uh, thank you for the faithfulness of your dear people. I know for many, uh, this is a very busy season. And Lord, uh, I appreciate the faithfulness of your people, not just to attendance, but service, and wanting to impact their region for Christ. And I pray that you'll reward our efforts, Lord. I pray that this week you'll give us many guests, Lord, and or some maybe who does not know you, and this weekend, they'll come to know you as their personal Savior. Lord, help us as we try to plan and prepare for all the things we have coming up. Lord, not just here at church, but in our homes and our families. And I pray that you'll open up, uh, Lord, our hearts tonight, especially as we hear your word being preached. Uh, may our, our coming not be in vain. May we hear something that will challenge us, that will help us. That will encourage us, even strengthen us, and help us as we go forward for you. Or be with those online tuning in. May they know they're loved and appreciated. Or thank you for the children's ministries and all that's been going on, discipleship and all that's going on right now. And I pray you bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, two old friends met one day after many years. One had attended college and now was very successful. The other one had attended college and never had much ambition. The successful one said to the other, How has everything been going with you? Well, the one said, One day I opened up the Bible at random and dropped my finger on a word and it was oil. So I invested in oil and boy did the oil wells gush. Then another day I opened up my Bible and dropped my finger on another word and it was gold. So I invested in gold, and those mines really produced. Now, I'm as rich as Rockefeller. 
The successful friend was so impressed that he rushed to his hotel, grabbed the Gideon Bible and flipped it open and dropped his finger on a page. He opened his eyes and his finger rested on the words. Chapter 11. Uh, anyways, okay, thank you. Tonight we see what a contrast between these two. And I have a feeling maybe some of you will get that later. But anyways, two weeks ago, we saw Paul and Barnabas arrived in Antioch and received several thanks. As they went, of course, from Cyprus and then to Poseidon there, to Antioch of Poseidon, they get there and they get invited to teach the word. Now we know this is a common thing for most religious Jews that would come through visiting synagogues to get the opportunity to speak. But they get the invitation to teach the word. And boy, did Paul certainly take advantage of the invitation. And we see a big portion of the chapter devoted to the first message recorded by the Apostle Paul. Now, no, no doubt he has preached before, and no doubt the message was, once, was much longer than what was given to us, because you can read it in about 60 seconds. But we went through that, and we see the indoctrination of the Word, and because of that, the immersion of the Word. Many of the Jews and Greeks responded to the message of God's Word, and we see the interest of the whole city. We see the synagogue is packed out and perhaps maybe Barnabas is in the synagogue, or I'm sorry, Paul's in the synagogue preaching and Barnabas is out in the courtyard preaching. We don't know, but almost the whole city, Antioch was a large city and they heard of the word of God. And because of that, the Jews are very envious. We see they were filled with envy and we see the ill treatment of the word. But we see Paul and Barnabas stood strong, was courageous, of course, with the Holy Spirit's help and uh, helping them in their life. And then we see the immersion of the word. But then we get to verse 50, and what a contrast we see. In fact, someone said, wherever there is revival, the second group to be revived is the devil. Barclay said it this way, Jews saw the heathen as chaff to be burned, but Jesus saw them as a harvest to be reaped to God. May I say today, how do you view people? If we're not careful, we can get into that religious form. And people are chaff. But to Jesus Christ, there are harvests that needs to be reaped. And Jewish opposition was strong enough to force Paul and Barnabas to leave the area. So I want to give us four things tonight as we look through these few verses. And I hope will help us as we continue to minister and reach this area for Christ. Number one, we see the selfish stirring of the Jews. The selfish stirring of the Jews. The Bible says in verse 50, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable woman and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul to the point where they expelled them out of their coast. And we see this stirring was done through inciting. The Bible says in verse number 50, but the Jews stirred up. The word stirred is paratruno in the Greek. It's intensive, urging. It literally means to stir, as the word says, but to agitate and arouse. Uh, Gilbrandt says the idea of stirring up anger was in a medical context, the use of medicine fluids to stimulate your digestion to working again. So really the word has the literal meaning of stirring things up, and in this particular case, the wrong way. Josephus used the word stirring as the Ammonite princes stirred up their ruler to spurn King David's ambassadors to fight back. And so we see literally the Jews here do not like what's going on. 
They're not excited about all these people getting saved. They're not excited about all this interest in the Word of God and this immersion. So they're stirring up. And how do they do this? How do they get the crowd flipped over? What's interesting to me is it seemed like Paul had the influence. Paul had the ear. Paul had the crowd. So what did these Jews decide to do? Well, the Bible says they stirred up the devout and honorable women. Now, who would those potentially have been? Those were probably the Greek God-fearers. These were those who, no doubt, were Greeks that would come to the temple. Though they were not ready to become Jews and go through all the ceremonial things, they loved the teaching of God's Word. And so perhaps these women would come and they would hear and maybe even they would want a little bit of acceptance among the Jewish leaders. We do not know. But perhaps maybe the Jewish leaders went to these devout women because they were hoping to use their influence and pull for these ladies to want to get more involved maybe in the church to do something for them. In fact, the Jews uh, incited the devout Women, uh, the rabbis went after the Gentile woman who had embraced Judaism. In fact, Acts 17, verse 4, we hear where some of these devout women got saved, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And so we see in Scripture that there's several chief women, there's several devout ladies and chief men, as we'll see later, who accepted Christ. In fact, Lydia, a seller of purple, in Acts 16, 14, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. We know that Lydia was used of God greatly in the church of Philippi. And so we see that these women were very influential people and they were religious. They were devoted uh, some to Christ, but in this particular case, they were going to listen to the rabbis. And so we see the Jews did not like what was going on. They were trying to flip this crowd over. Paul, of course, had them. Paul was sharing the gospel. Barnabas, a great response, a great action, and people were excited. But out of nowhere, the rabbi says, we got to do something about it, so let's go stir up the devout woman, and let's get these people to maybe stir up some issues. And we see that Robertson also says the chief men of the city were city officials. So not only did they go to the devout woman, they went to chief leaders in the city, and they, they, they reached these men and women who were proselytes of distinction. And the Bible says they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Literally, they're stirring up problems by getting these chief men and these devout ladies and saying, hey, you know, we don't know what's going on here. Perhaps maybe they even shared some false things about Paul. We don't know exactly what all happened here. But somewhere along the line, these ladies and these men who are very powerful, influential, when they, when they talk, it, it means something, people respond, and they go to them and start stirring them up and causing these issues. And because of that, uh, a persecution and a mob starts forming against Paul and Barnabas. In fact, Paul, no doubts, relates to this in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 11. The Bible says, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. May I say, persecution is bound to come wherever the gospel is preached. But the Lord will always deliver us out of them. We see through insight, but also through instigation. So we see a stirring here. We see trying to get people to look against Paul and Barnabas and try to get people to think differently about them, perhaps maybe by the half-truth. Have you ever had that happen to you maybe before? Someone tells you just enough, but not the whole story, and then you get all excited.
and you hear the rest of the story, another angle, oh, that changes things. Perhaps they were strategic. They were getting these people exactly where they wanted them. And the Bible says, and raised persecution. Raised means literally to revolt against someone. Persecution means to put to flight or to pursue with repeated acts. So this was not a one-time thing. This is a continual thing. They're trying to get Paul and Barnabas out of here, no matter what it takes. And Robertson says, expelled them as forcible expulsion, expulsion rather, plainly as public nuances. So really, they're trying to make it out to the Paul and Barnabas are just not good people. They're a public nuance. And just a few days before, were they not the heroes of the city? And now, they're getting expelled out. It reminds me of another story, doesn't it? Remember when Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he's hailed with hosannas, that triumphant entry? And then a few days later, the cries are, crucify him, crucify him. And Paul literally is practicing 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, what's interesting here is Larkin says the magistrates banished them from the municipality. So the magistrates, the city leaders, had enough power to get them out. But one thing I saw that really was interesting to me was this only would happen for about a year because these city leaders were re-elected every year. And once their election was done, the banishment then would be released. So that is perhaps why Paul and Barnabas were able to come back as we'll see in Acts 14 later. Of course, it is our verse for the year, as they were able to go back to uh, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and help commend and train uh, these men and help establish them in the faith. And so we see that it's just a temporary thing, but they have to go. And perhaps 2 Timothy 3.10 talks even more to this when Paul says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering." Charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and so forth. And so here we have uh, a persecutions coming for the gospel being shared. We see the selfish stirring of the Jews. I couldn't help but think, as I was reading an article by Tom Rainer this week, a survey that said a lot. Tom Rainer and his organization surveyed churches that were inwardly focused around 10 dominant behavior patterns. And this is what he said. Oftentimes churches can get stirred up because of worship wars, prolonged meetings on inconsequential items that had nothing to do with the great commission or commandments of God. A church who can get all stirred up over facility focus. It's all about the highest priorities of the church, the protection and preservation of rooms. This is my room. This is my furniture. You know, a program driven. Here's another one. Inwardly focused budget. Inordinate demands was another one. Uh, pastoral church care is definitely needed. But a church who is all about unreasonable expectations can cause a church to become inward focused. In uh, attitudes of entitlement, members demanding and expecting special treatment, greater concern about little things instead of the gospel, anger and hostility. And I thought one of the most interesting he said as they interviewed these churches that were dying and that were selfishly focused is evangelistic 
apathy. In other words, very few members shared their faith on a regular basis. I couldn't help but think, though, I don't know if the synagogue would be comparable to the church today, but I do believe there's times where we as a church can become selfish. We can become inward focused. I don't think we mean to. I don't think we intend to. But that's what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when we start focusing on reaching the lost for Christ. And may I say today, what we're doing this Christmas season, I'm so proud of our church. What a blessing. It's years and years of a foundation that was laid by the previous pastor. We're so thankful for that. But may we never lose a desire to tell people about Jesus Christ. May we never lose the desire to help people, to care for people, to help encourage someone who's new to sit with you. Someone maybe in the school that we have is asking questions. I talked to a gentleman today who is from the school and he wants to come and be a part of our church. And I was so thankful and we got to talk to him a bit a little bit about that. But that's what we should be all about. Reaching people, loving people, caring people, not always trying to find the negatives or the wrong things or all the, 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 the things that we can get all tripped up over. But may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and the gospel. And someone said it this way, biblical church membership is about servitude, servanthood, giving, and putting others first. And may that be said of our church. And so we see the selfish stirring of the Jews. It actually expelled Paul and Barnabas. But I want us to see, number two, how the missionaries responded. We see the sobering shaking of the missionaries. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says in verse 51, But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. They literally shook off the dust of their feet in protest. Paul and Barnabas responded just as Jesus had instructed the twelve disciples to in Matthew 10, verse 5. To preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he tells them in Matthew 10, 14, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Robertson says, The sandal was taken off and the dust shaken out as a symbolic token that the very soil of the country was defiling. And so Paul and Barnabas do the same as Jesus did. They take their sandals off and they shake off the dust and basically says, you don't want us here or we'll go on. And so what do they do? They come into Iconium. Iconium was 80 to 90 miles southeast of Poseidon Antioch. It was on the well-traveled Roman roads, probably even paved I don't know if it was paved like we think today, if it was more cobblestones with, with mortar in between, but it was a nice road. And they travel to Iconium, about 80 or 90 miles southeast and directly north of Lystra. And we see the road connected Ephesus to the Euphrates. And here they go traveling. And as Dion, Dion says, when Paul and Barnabas were driven out of one city, they did not lose heart and quit. They did not go home as John Mark did, but they simply moved to the next place. They meant business and nothing could deter them. Paul was not a quitter. He wasn't ready to resign when the going became tough. And I thank God for men of God and women of God who have learned to stay strong even when the going gets tough. I know it's not always easy. Sometimes your students may not always respond to your teaching. Sometimes they don't always respond right to the care. 
I've tried to help people only to find out I made them mad because they misread what I was trying to accomplish. I've tried to help disciple people only to find out later that, you know, they, they have no interest in that. I've, I've tried to uh, give people money only to find out that they had no, no, no desire to ever give that money back. And it's the Lord's. We understand that. But my point is, there's times you try to help people and it just gets, doesn't get received well. It gets pushed back. And you wonder, are you really making a difference? Is that seventh grader really paying attention? Is that adult really want to know? And I'm pouring out my heart. I'm giving of myself. I'm spending time in God's word and prayer and study. Only to find out no one wants to hear. But may I say today, sometimes it takes time to make an impact, make a difference. May we just be faithful. And so Paul continues on. And he's not going to quit. Even though rejection and opposition comes, they responded with appropriate determination. What's interesting here is though Paul shook off the dust of his feet, as I said earlier, he still loved those people. He still had helped start a church there. And he eventually circled back. Acts chapter 14, verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned... Again, to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. May I say today, don't ever give up on people. Just keep loving them. There's always someone who wants to hear about Jesus. But just keep being patient with people. Keep being there for them. And Paul and Barnabas, so they went on, they never forgot those group of converts. They never forgot that church. And eventually they came back around and established them. And so we see, first of all, the selfish stirring of the Jews. We see, second of all, the sobering shaking of the missionaries. But third of all, I love this part because no matter what comes our way, we can still be joyous. We see the spirit-filled satisfaction of the disciples. The spirit-filled satisfaction of the disciples. The Bible says in verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. In fact, Acts 13, verse 48 says, as I read earlier, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Ray Stedman says there's no mention of the gift of tongues in connection with the filling of the Spirit, but there is mention of the fruit of the Spirit. See, what's happening here is Paul and Barnabas and these Gentile believers are still joyous in the midst of persecution. How is that possible? Because as I mentioned earlier, joy is not bent on circumstances. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God working in our lives. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. They were filled with the joy of the Lord, the love of God. Ray Sedman goes on to say, this is the great sign of the Spirit of God in the human heart. It floods the heart with love and joy. I love what Robertson says. He says, persecution had precisely the opposite effect of the intentions of the Jews. I'm sure the Jews thought they'll quit. They'll stop. They'll get upset. They'll get frustrated. They'll go home. No. Instead, joy comes into their heart. It's interesting that two references to joy and the one mention of persecution suggest that the missionary's joy overrode the persecution. Constable says this, supernatural joy trumps natural tribulation. 
And only the Holy Spirit can give joy amidst persecution. And James 1, 2 talks us about this. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, Paul is writing the church of Thessalonica and says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much affliction. Of course, we remember, they were kind of expelled from Thessalonica as well. And he says, With joy of the Holy Ghost. In fact, you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia. For some of you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. To God were to spread abroad. In fact, persecution brought joy, which actually brought more of the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 1611 comforts us. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence as fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. Romans 13, 5, 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There was a conference at a certain church in Omaha, Nebraska. People were given helium-filled balloons and told them to release them at some point in the service when they felt like expressing joy in their hearts. The story goes on. This church wasn't a normal church like ours, perhaps, or amen, and praise the Lord, it was normal. Usually no one said anything. And so, about halfway through, over half the balloons were released. While the service was almost done, over a third of the balloons, only a third of the balloons were were left. And one preacher said, Church, just let your balloon go. May I say tonight, there should be joy in our hearts today. And I know times can get tough. Things can get hard. I understand that we live in a broken world, a sin-cursed world. But we can be joyous no matter what comes our way. As I look down this morning to my left down here, to your right, I got to see one of the most joyous men I've ever had the privilege of meeting. Dave Bilby. I got to see him down there smiling with all his heart. He was able to be in church. He's not on chemotherapy anymore. He's not on any medication. The doctor says it's not working. In fact, he has hospice coming in. Thankfully, he's able to come to church as he can. Yesterday, he was able to come to the men's breakfast. He said, Pastor Justin, he says, I'm just so happy that I can still be in church. I couldn't help but think, how many times have I been like that man who got up in the morning and he says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go to church today. And his wife says, you got to go. He says, well, why do I have to go? She goes, because you're the pastor, you know. I mean, we've all felt that way sometimes, have we not? And there's been days where you're tired, you're busy, your life is full. But you know what was challenging to me as I listened on the phone to Dave Bilby talk? His greatest joy was to be with the people of God. And I want to encourage you tonight in the busyness of life. And I know you're here on a Sunday night on a cold, windy, wet night in the Christmas season. So much more that people could do. But you understand the importance of church. And may we never, ever lose the joy of our salvation. 
and being in God's house with God's people. Joy is a condition, a state of the soul due to being right with God. As I mentioned earlier, happiness is dependent on happy circumstances. We may long for a change in our circumstances, and sometimes that's what we get. But a changed life is our deepest need. Someone said happiness is affected by what one has. Joy is affected by what one is. Happiness is like the changing surface of the ocean. Joy, like the ocean bed, touched by a change of wind or atmosphere. In other words, my wife and I got to go to the coast this week for a day. Enjoyed utilizing what gift you guys gave us over our anniversary time. And we watched the ocean crash in. Kept constantly moving all over. But way down deep, I've been told, it's, it's nice and stable. And happiness is like that. It kind of comes and goes. But joy just stays. And it's a re- direct result from the Lord Jesus Christ. So may I encourage you tonight, like these disciples... Though you feel the persecution, maybe, of the stirring of the selfish people coming your way, and though maybe uh, you're shaking the dust off your feet and you're getting up and you're going on again, may I encourage you to never lose the Spirit-filled satisfaction. Which brings us to number four as we close tonight. We see the straightforward speaking to Iconium. The Bible says in verse 1, and I think it's interesting as you kind of look at this city, its history, And kind of the things Paul and Barnabas had to go through. This wasn't necessarily an easier path forward than Antioch. This actually ends up being just as difficult, if not more. And I'll try to share some of this with you tonight. We see the Bible says in verse 1, It came to pass in Icodium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Once again, it seems like everywhere Paul's going and the gospel's being preaching, God is responding. The people respond. But we see the straightforward speaking, first of all, to the peculiar pagans. And I say that because as Paul and Barnabas traveled through the rolling countryside, of course, they went through the snow-capped peaks of the Sultan Mountain Range. And as they come down that road and through those peaks and over that journey into Iconium, of course, we see There's a strenuous nature to this trip. It was not an easy hike, but they get there. And Iconium, as Bach says, was in the central part of what is now the Kanya province in Turkey. It's rugged. It's somewhat isolated. It's located on a plateau of the steppes of central Turkey. It is the ruling center of this region. And one of the reasons why it's such a big part is it's become very affluent. There's A lot of orchards, a lot of apricots, there's even wheat, there's orchards, there's farms. And though there's deserts around, there's enough water to have a fertile land. And there isn't an easy way to really, uh, 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 military-wise, protect the city. So they've had to learn how to be peaceable and how to get along with people and how to learn to to kind of dialogue with people and, and learn how to get along with people. So because of that, they become a trading center and people would come from all over. It's a very strategic place. It's an ideal center for missionary activity and church planning. In fact, many of the major roads would intersect one another here. It was a very 
important strategic city. And Paul knew, Barnabas, if we can get there and get the gospel going, it can go all out. But if you look at the word Iconium, it's actually a pagan name. It's a pagan name that speaks of idols. And yet God's inherently powerful gospel light proclaimed by these spirit-empowered missionaries would shine forth brilliantly even to this dark place. In fact, Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Perhaps Paul was referring to Iconium here when he's writing this to the church of Colossae. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Someone alluded to America becoming a nation of idolatry and spiritual darkness. But may I say today, amidst idolatry, and amidst darkness, and amidst all that we see coming around, the gospel and the power of the gospel is still the answer. We understand that. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Arnold said, not only was this a pagan city, the whole area of Galatia was notorious for impenetrable paganism to the point where they didn't even want to hear. They were Gauls. They were a Celtic tribe from the stained stock that inhabited France. They were warlike people. And when they came in, even uh, Caesar Augustus struggled with these people. And he said they could not be trusted. They were fickle. And they were fond of change. <laughs> they couldn't even be trusted. They're a warlike people. They're pagans. Don't even, don't even trust them. Don't even go to them. But yet amidst all this, the missionaries were not deterred. So can you imagine? Think with me. They just get expelled from Antioch of Poseidon. They love these dear people. I mean, they're the heroes one day. They're the zeros the next. They love these people. They want to help disciple them and ground them and develop them, get a church going. And they have to leave. They go 80 to 90 miles south. And they go through the mountain range. They come down into this beautiful city. And then they find out this is a pagan city. This is a wicked city. This is an influential city. But <laughs> they're warlike people. And and though they've learned how to get along and they've learned how to be productive, they ought nothing to do with Jesus. But I want us to see not only the pagan people, but a proven process. You see, Paul and Barnabas went straight to the few Jews that were there in the tabernacle and did what their manner was. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may I say tonight, when witnessing, start right where you are with your most natural contact. Who is it in your life today that God has put on your heart that needs to hear about Jesus? Who is it today that you can start a conversation with, that you can preach the gospel to? And when the gospel was preached, it had power, it had impact. It shook, it jolted, and made them sit up and notice. In fact, they so spake, the Bible says, and a great multitude of the Jews and the Greeks believed. Some suggest that this great multitude came because of the eloquent, eloquent, if you will, message from Paul. I mean, perhaps he was not only eloquent, but he drew people with a powerful message. But what many people fail to realize is Paul's secret was not his giftedness. 
was not on his knowledge of scriptures. No, Paul's secret came when he preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we read a few verses ago, the Holy Spirit filled them with joy. And I believe to this day, Paul was such a gifted speaker, not just because he had been trained, not because he was a, uh, had some gifts and talents, so I'm sure he did, but at the end of the day, what, the reason why God used him so much, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And may I say today, you may not be the most effective or eloquent speaker, but you and I both have the same opportunity Paul had. We have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit power. Romans 1.16 says, It is the power of God unto salvation. The Spirit will give you boldness. The Spirit will open up doors of opportunity. Someone tells a story of the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. You know him. I'm sure you've heard of him, as I have. His name was D.L. Moody. But D.L. Moody was untaught and unlettered. In fact, one biographer said, as a result of his preaching, a great spiritual awakening swept the United Kingdom. An uneducated and to British taste, somewhat crude and boorish American led the way. Could you imagine? You know, how did I do today? Well, you're uneducated. You were crude and you are really boring, you know. And Moody's natural ability, he was not the most eloquent speaker. But no doubt, he was empowered by the Spirit. And speaking forth the inherently powerful gospel, God used him like Paul and Barnabas, and a large number of people believed. The lesson here was told that D.L. Moody was actually a very shy person. I wasn't there. I do not know. Only what history tells us. But you may feel shy. You may feel all thumbs. And you may feel a little timid. But with God's help and with God's power, what matters to God is not your ability, my dear friend. But what matters to God is your availability. Your job is to be faithful. And it's his job to be fruitful. But my dear friend, you cannot be fruitful unless you're faithful. And you cannot be fruitful unless, with God's help, you are faithful and God blesses your efforts. So in conclusion, as Paul comes to Iconium, he left two groups behind in Antioch. Prejudiced, hate-filled Jews and joyous, spirit-filled believers. Where are you tonight? Are you... Stirring up issues? I I don't think anybody is here tonight. Or are you joyous? Are you spirit-filled? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Are you available? And if you're available, God will take care of the fruitfulness. Are you faithful? Are you sharing your faith? Are you loving people? Are you helping people along? Are you discipling? Are you helping to train people? Do you care about people? I believe with all my heart Iconium was reached because two men decided, with God's help, we're going to keep on going and tell someone about Jesus Christ. May we continue to be a shining light 
where God has us. And may we also be willing to go and to tell someone about Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Today we see the Iconium starting to be reached. We saw, of course, Antioch Poseida. So much more could have been done, but there was selfishness. I don't know if that's the case for you tonight, but I believe we're all capable of being selfish in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplace. May we not be selfish. May we instead be servants. May, though, we get frustrated at people who won't listen. May we keep going on and telling people about Jesus. May we not be waiting on circumstances to go away, to be happy. May we tell our face. May we be joyful every day. May people want to be around us because we're just full of the joy of the Lord. And may we continue to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the Northwest, where there's people that sometimes don't want to know, don't care to know. But there's always someone who does want to know. And may we continue to find those that are nearest to us that we can start with and just keep going from there. And may God use us to make a difference in our area. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, tonight we come to you knowing we're nothing and you're everything. And Lord, these are good people. They've worked so hard today. Lord, they've ministered. They've been faithful. Lord, many of them have been here a long time. Lord, tonight the message was in no way, Lord, uh, uh, more than just going through this passage. But maybe there was something that was said or something that was brought out that challenged us, that encouraged us, that helped us, or reminded us of something. Lord, I thank God for the faithfulness of these dear people, their love for you. Maybe there's someone here that's bearing a burden tonight. Maybe their joy has been robbed by circumstances. May they realize that happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is truly being plugged in with you. May we never lose our joy. Or may we not be selfish and stir up things. Or may we continue to go on even though the going gets tough. And I pray that we'll be willing to tell people about Jesus, to disciple, to teach and to train and to love people. May we continue to be the church or that this city needs or this metro area needs. Or there's many good churches around here. We're just one of them. But we want to be the best we can for you. And I pray we'll do that tonight. Lord, may we respond to the message as you'd have us to. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano's playing. I invite you to come at this time and spend some time with God. If God's touched your heart, may I encourage you. Maybe you'd like someone to pray with you. Or maybe you'd like to follow Lord in baptism. Or maybe join the church. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe somewhere along the way tonight, we got encouraged by the Apostle Paul and what Barnabas did. May we continue to be scattering, even in the midst of persecution. May we continue to be purposed. May we continue to proclaim the Word of God tonight.
May we not be selfish. May we have the joy of the Lord. May we continue to speak and tell people about Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, once again, I know I've said it again and again, but I'm so thank- appreciative of your faithfulness tonight. And I appreciate all so many of you did today. And uh, thank you for being here. I hope you know you- God loves you and this pastor loves you. Let's go ahead and watch an upcoming event here today. And then we'll be on our way. And you can get home and maybe get some rest tonight. our upcoming activities for the Best Years Club. The White Elephant Christmas Party will be held on Saturday, December 9th at 2 p.m. Bring some food to share and a $10 gift to exchange. Also, don't miss the bus to PIR Christmas lights on Thursday, December 14th. We'll leave the church at 5 p.m. on our new 48-passenger shuttle bus. We will sing carols, wear Christmas sweaters, and dinner will be provided. The cost is $10 per person. You can sign up for this and all other Best Years Club activities on the sign-up sheet at the welcome desk. Don't miss the musical Christmas program Love Was Born a King on Friday, December 8th at 7 p.m. and Sunday, December 10th at 11 a.m. This musical program features full orchestra as well as our adult teens and children's choirs. Join us for this special time of Christ-centered music for the whole family. Please note that our connection groups will only meet from 10 to 10.30 a.m. to facilitate the program schedule on this special day. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Okay, God bless you. You are dismissed.